Welcome to this week's edition of the Property Buyer and Sellers Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Hume, and I'm here to take you through the very latest news and views, hints, tips, and tricks to help you on your property journey. Hello, and welcome back to the Property Buyer and Sellers Podcast. How are you? I hope you're well. And this week, we're going to talk about the three secrets to successful property investment. I'll come on to those in a moment. But first of all, let's go through the week's headlines to tell you what's going on as far as the property industry is concerned. First report comes in from City AM, and it says that house price inflation surge shows little sign of slowing. It goes on. Inflation is unlikely to be quelled anytime soon as prices continue to be driven historically by low stock levels. Despite warnings of a recession on the horizon, current property activity continues to be buoyant, according to the latest RICS residential market survey. Now, the RICS is the professional body, the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors. So we're talking about surveyors here and their analysis. So it's a, it's an in-depth, deep dive and it's pretty weighty. Its April survey found that the supply of homes on the market and new listings continues to be sparse. There's little evidence at this stage of house price inflation use, losing momentum. While expectations for the coming 12 months have only moderated slightly from recent highs, RICS economist Tarrant Parsons says, well, this week I had the great pleasure of speaking with Tim Bannister, whom I hope to get on the show one day. Now, Tim is the statistician statistician, and director at Rightmove and collates all of the information from the site and helps to produce the news releases, which you'll see across most national newspapers and indeed international ones, showing what's happening with the property market by statistical analysis. Now, one of the things that we were talking about was where we are now and what he said on that was what his releases, what the press releases continue to support is that we're breaking all records on all fronts so that the uh, property index has never been higher, demand has never been higher and price increases have never been higher. So it looks like the boom has a while to go yet. And I call it a boom because it does appear to be that. The question is, can it remain and will it remain consistent across the UK? That's a more difficult question to answer. We did try and tackle that one and it's difficult to know. But we did come to the conclusion that one of the things that is likely to happen is that the London prices may have further to go than the rest of the UK. But I mean, to give you some instances of some of the meteoric rises in the UK, uh, I've got some areas here to give you some outlines of house prices and what areas have rocketed the most. If we look at, and I've said this before, holiday type destinations have been so popular. But if you look in South Hams, for instance, the property prices there average 420,000. They're up 22%. Um, and then you look at North Devon, we've mentioned before, they've gone through the roof, up 24%. And then you look at an area such as Hastings, 19%. Rushcliffe, 22%. I mean, these are meteoric rises by any measure. And London is nowhere near that level, although it is very, very strong. So London may have a way to go. And it's easy to feel as though, you know, the FOMO comes into this fear of missing out or perhaps fear I have already missed out comes into this, which is why one of the secrets to property investing will cover that for you in a moment. But the underlying principle is it looks like we've got a while to go yet, at least, even though interest rates are up. And one of the things that will happen is that well, one of the things that surprised me actually in my chat with Tim 
was that we were talking about the level of repossessions because it's widely held that since the interest rate rise, it's likely that the repossessions will rise by 40 or 50 percent. But something he pointed out, which I hadn't considered, was as an overall proportion of the UK market, the repossession level is so low as to have very little impact on the wider market in the UK. In other words, even with a 50% increase in repossessions, it wouldn't have a significant effect on market supply and therefore would not be likely to depress prices. Now, of course, all of this is best guessed because no one really knows any more than we knew that house prices would boom during the pandemic, especially in coastal areas. I don't think anyone predicted that and it happened. So certainly we can't claim to have any inside track other than history. And, you know, history doesn't repeat itself, but it does echo. So we can look at history and say, well, what happened in the past and how is that going to affect what goes on in the future? Millions facing negative equity, according to the Daily Telegraph. There's a sensational headline the other way. Soaring interest rates and collapsing property prices could leave millions of UK homeowners facing negative equity in the near future, the Telegraph reports. According to the paper, the age of rock bottom borrowing costs is at an end, which I would agree with it is, um, while rates, interest rates, that is, on some mortgages have doubled in a matter of months. But prices are up more than 10% in the past year, rocketing to a record 5.5 times the national wage average. And the end of ultra cheap mortgages means that some people may struggle more than others in terms of those repayments. Buy to let investors There's another article in The Telegraph saying that they're paying on average £100 a month more for their mortgages. But let's bear in mind their rents have gone up significantly more than that £100 a month anyway. So it could be argued that the um, any increase in borrowing costs is more than offset by the increase in rental. The amount of rental people are paying now has gone through the roof. And this is why the article in the Mirror today says renters are opting to stay put. Tenants are opting to stay put rather than risk moving in the face of higher rents, research suggests. They say outside of London, the average monthly rent was at a record £1,088 in the first quarter of 2022, marking an 11% increase. In London, the average rent shot up by 14% annually to £2,195 per calendar month. Seems incredible, doesn't it? I'll repeat that. The average rents in London are up 14% to £2,195 per calendar month, more than offsetting the average increase in the interest costs for the average landlord. 18% of landlords said the average length of tenancies had increased in the past year, and that's why tenants are opting to stay put because they know that if they move, they're likely to face much higher costs. And most landlords will keep their costs below the mean average. So quite often you'll find tenants that have been in a property for a number of years have been given a bit of a discount on current rental values because they then stay put. The landlord feels they can rely on them and trust them. And why rock the boat and start again if there's not a significant difference between where you are and what the current rent level is? Um, so you tend to find that longer term Good professional landlords look to look after good tenants and split the difference with them quite often between what the current rent is and what rent they're paying so that they get a discount on the current rent, but also they get a bit of an uplift. The danger of not um, increasing the rent at all is that your tenants can quickly fall behind over a number of years to the point where they're paying 25 or 30 percent under market rate. And then it's very difficult to get them to catch up to the real world prices. And then if you do want to put the rent up, there's likely to be um some very heavy objection or you could serve them with an eviction notice but the problem is if the rent's that far behind the current market level they may not wish to move out because they know they're going to have to pay more so you can shoot yourself in the foot with that one if you're not really really careful
But just on uh, higher house prices, market crashes, that sort of thing, I was around in the 90s when mortgage rates hit 15%. Um, now, back then, it wasn't the actual base rate that hit 15%, but some lenders were charging 15%. And I remember our mortgage going to that level, and it was quite shocking. But you have to rem- remember in the first place that our rates were much, much higher. They were five times higher than they are now, even before the start of the uh, exit from the exchange rate mechanism. And many homeowners were no longer able to service their debts. I can recall very well selling people properties um, and then going back and revaluing them because they couldn't afford to finance the debt at the new level of interest rates. And, you know, it was awful. And many people did that and they bought properties and it really did scare. But also many people took the opportunity and said, well, if we can't sell and we need to move, we'll rent the property out and rent somewhere else. And for many people, that was the start of a very early buy to let journey, which served them very well. Um, But some were stuck for years and it did take years to unwind. Um, But could we be heading for a repeat? That's the question on everyone's lips, isn't it? Well, you're never going to see those high rates again. That's for sure. Mortgage rates are never going to hit such heady levels as they did back then. Um, Mortgages are still by historic standards low. Uh, You know, fixed rate mortgages you can get for between two and three percent. If you've got a decent deposit um, and longer term rates, you can still get under three percent. So there is there are still plenty of good deals out there and cheap finance is around. The Bank of England couldn't afford to increase increase interest rates in the way that happened back in the 90s. And there was a very specific reason for that back then. And that was the exchange rate mechanism. We were trying to bolster the value of our currency against others so that the, we weren't devalued against those currencies and the currency markets bet against us. And the only defense we had against that was interest rates. And it turned out to be a massive mistake and triggered a huge recession. Um, but nonetheless, we came out the other side. And what we found is that literally, yes, it was for some years that we had that market crash. I think it started about 1989, 1990 uh, and finished in sort of 92, 93. And then if you look back at those prices afterwards, they jumped quite significantly as they are today. So let's talk about the three secrets to successful property investment. Well, the first step, and actually the most important one, is to do it. This is the big secret. Now, lots of people talk about what they're going to do, how they're going to do it, and the theory behind what they're going to do with lots of enthusiasm and lots of zest. But when it comes to actually putting their money where their thoughts are, They're too cautious to do it because it does take guts to take your hard earned money and then invest it in another property. Now, for most of us, we don't have that money in cash. It comes in the form of equity in our properties. But I remember one particular story which really um, does uh, always remind me of this situation. I had a gentleman who was a lovely chap coming to see me who had the freehold of a very large building, was very proud to say that he had no mortgage whatsoever on it and it was owned outright in cash. Um, and I suggested politely to him that that probably wasn't the best use of the resource in that he could refinance that as an asset in his business and then use those funds to buy some buy-to-let properties and create himself a portfolio. Well, he did that and he did it once with us to stick his toe in gingerly to see what would happen and the returns on it were very strong indeed he did it again and again and again and became one of our biggest landlords and we had a fantastic relationship sadly he passed um but still today 
his relative is still benefiting from his smart moves in terms of his property investments. Now, obviously, we're not here to recommend investment decisions to you. That's outside of our licensing and remit. Uh, If you want advice financially, then you need to speak to a financial advisor. But certainly in our experience, the first thing you need to do is think about doing it. How do you do it? Well, that depends. For most of us, it means refinancing our initial, our existing assets, such as our family home. And that can be a worry because that means taking money out of a home that we've saved for over the years and perhaps it's gone up in value. um, But then your mortgage relative to its cost is comfortable. You've got to be sure you're comfortable when doing this. And it is a cost of purchase because you're going to be financing that debt. This is not free money. Some people think that when you refinance your existing house, you take out this free wad of cash. Well, you don't. You're paying for it and you're paying for it in whatever interest rate you fixed when you refinance. But most lenders are quite up for refinancing most people's houses up to a value of at least 75 percent, sometimes higher. And that for many people means that they do have the opportunity to consider buy to let. The vast majority choose not to do it. And a lot of people had a fear of missing out and now feel that they've missed out again. And therefore, it's too late. It no longer works. Well, it does still work, but it comes on to the second secret to make sure it works well for you. And that is point number two in the successful secrets of investing is due diligence. Make sure that you know what you're buying, number one, and that it works for buy to let. Speak to the experts. Speak to people that are doing it every day, and that's agents on the ground. Be very careful here, though, because if you're buying through an agent, that agent will have a vested interest in telling you the superb gains that you'll make by buying this particular property and may not indeed care that they're spinning you a bit of a line and hoping that prices catch up to the level that they're suggesting you will achieve on rental. So make sure when you do do your due diligence, you don't just take the agent's word that you're buying from. Make sure you go to other agents or most importantly, make sure that you trust the agent you're dealing with and that they are an agent of integrity. And if they are, they should be telling you the truth. And the truth is quite often not the highest possible rent because a lot of agents will tell you the highest possible rent. And then you end up in a situation where the very audience that would normally take the property that you have won't because it falls outside of the rent. So the next question in due diligence is, who is my client? What type of tenant am I going to have? And the reason you need to know the answer to that is that will lead you to the right kind of property for the local property market. In our area, we find that we're very popular with young professionals. So we're talking small self-contained units, one bedroom flats, studio flats do very well. But then you have to consider very carefully the costs of things like service charges and ground rent, because they add to your cost of owning that property. And that cost of ownership, you can't offset against the tenant. Tenants will pay the gas bill, the electric bill. They'll pay the utilities, council tax, water rates, but they do not pay your service charge. So we have a policy of always advising people to try and steer away from properties with lifts, for instance, because at some point the lift goes wrong and everybody pays. Very large blocks can be a problem with uh, additional costs. And we've seen that come out with the cladding scandal over the last few years. Smaller blocks don't tend to suffer so much, if at all. Um, So make sure you do your due diligence and make sure that when you do it, you understand that the kind of person that rents in the area, and this is a question you should be asking your agent, and whether that type and style of property that you're considering buying fits the client. So quite often I find that clients buy very large houses, five and six bedroom homes, and then which to rent them out. And in our area, they don't rent so well, and they certainly don't achieve a decent yield. Um, And by yield, 
we mean taking the purchase price and then uh, working out exactly what percentage the rent is as a proportion of the cost of the house. Now, this is a gross yield. You can net that down as well. That's a subject for another day. But you do need to be sure that one, will the rent cover your interest costs plus a sufficient margin to pay for things like maintenance and repairs and agents fees? It's going to be marginal when you first buy. But that really brings us on to the third secret of property investment. And that is time. If you can buy a property and it can be cost neutral once you've put your deposit in. What I mean by cost neutral is by the time you've paid the interest payments on the loan you have to take out and a margin for estate agents fees for management and maintenance fees question, does it what we call wipe its face? Does it break even? Because in today's heady times of pricing, one thing's for sure, you can't expect it to do much more than that in the short term. But what you can expect is in the longer term, as we're seeing right now, rents will go up and they always go up more than one might expect. And particularly in times of recession, more people tend to rent and not buy when they're not sure about the market. So if the market gets worse, you usually find the rents go up, not down. Um, It's exactly the uh, opposite of what you might expect, because people still need somewhere to live. And if they're not buying, they're renting. And so there is always strong demand. And the government have recently Well, I heard Michael Gove just this week saying that the government's target of 300,000 homes a year to build, which was what their promise was from or has been for many years now, was beginning to look unrealistic. Well, that just means that they're not even keeping up with the current demand here in the UK. And if they're not keeping up, that means we have an undersupply. If we have an undersupply, then that means there are always going to be more people looking for homes and there are homes available. You know, there's an old adage, buy land, they're not making any more. And there is truth to this. So time, what do I mean by time? What I mean is that if you look for the short term gains and, you know, the smart money that gets in when the prices are really low and then gets out when the prices are really high, that's not how the vast majority of people make money in property. The vast majority of people make money in property by it goes back to stage one, number one, doing it. Number two, the due diligence, making sure that what you're buying fits the need of the area that you're buying in. And number three, that it wipes its face and looks after itself. And then over time, you can expect those gains to come with the increase in rental values. And of course, you should be looking at the finance costs very carefully. A lot of people now are looking at medium term fixes of five or maybe even 10 years where they're looking at long term investments. And what they're often found over the years and what we found over the last 30 years of doing this is that As time goes on, the equity in the property builds up substantially. Some landlords are bold and go and refinance that equity uh, and then reduce the mortgage on their current family home. Some use that money for their children's education. Indeed, we have many that rely on the money for their pension and it's their major source of income. So, you know, a lot of the headlines you'll hear are about the greedy landlords that are sat in a castle smoking a cigar. And actually, the vast majority of landlords that we deal with right here in southwest London are just small investors, some of them accidental. And by an accidental landlord, what I mean is that they've decided that they're going to, for instance, we had one just yesterday leaving the country and they're not sure if it will work out. They're excited about it, hope it will, but would rather rent their property out so that if it goes back 
if it all goes wrong, then they've got their own home as a bolt hole to come back to. They can uh, call on us to serve notice on their tenants then they can move back to their family home without a substantial cost. And in the meantime, whilst they're overseas, they have an income which will at least support their lifestyle out there with a small profit usually. So that's accidental landlords. Sometimes you find people are in this case, in this situation, because they can't sell their existing property. Uh, often we find this is through reasons of the cladding crisis, where buildings need these new cladding works and aren't mortgageable. You can't finance them. You can't get a loan on them until those works are carried out and they're in mid works. So you're in a situation where you either sell it cheaply for cash, which most people can't afford to do, or you wait it out. And if you wait it out, but you need to live somewhere else because you now have a child and need a garden or whatever the need is, or you have a location change, then that makes you an accidental landlord. And what we find interestingly is many accidental landlords actually do more and go on to get confidence with the whole buy to let situation and then go on to buy more properties. As far as the market's concerned, longer term, I think, you know, actually from the chat with Tim Bannister, I, I really do feel more confident that the property market has strength and depth. Um, and the reason I say that is I, it just seemed to be that when you look at it from all angles, what's likely to happen in the next six months is there will be a volume slowdown. There will be less people selling because they're unsure about what's going on. And when I say unsure about what's going on, I'm talking now about the war in Ukraine. I'm talking about potential recession. I'm talking about interest rate rises. All of these things have an impact on people's pockets, but also in that very fragile of things, confidence. And it's not just buyers that can lack confidence, it's sellers as well. And because most sellers, the vast majority of sellers in the UK are looking to sell, but don't have a desperate need to sell. And if you suddenly, for instance, said to them, well, your home's no longer worth 600, it's worth 500, the vast majority of them would say, well, I'll wait then, I'll hold off, I'll decide not to move. Now, there is a very good argument if they own that property in cash, that if they're taking that 500,000 and moving it on to another property, then the move is neutral because if their property were worth 600, they'd be buying at 600 in another area. So the move is neutral. So there will be those for whom it has no effect. But if you have finance and if that finance is quote close to the level that you paid, then it will lock you in and make you unable to move, which is where the accidental landlord scenario comes in. And you could use that kind of scenario and, and decide to rent your home out, at least for the interim period, while you uh, rent somewhere else or perhaps buy somewhere else. And there are mortgages that facilitate this. They're called let to buy mortgages as opposed to buy to let, where you let your own property out in order to buy another one. And providing you have enough equity to do it and the lenders are confident in your financial circumstances, then it is something that happens quite frequently uh, and certainly is an option for those that find themselves in that position. But at the moment, with the market so buoyant, it's unlikely anyone's going to find themselves in negative equity anytime soon. Certainly, that's the way it looks from our end. And we're finding that we're extremely busy right now. Confidence is still high, but I'm starting to feel a fragility about it. We're hearing from the rural areas that some are questioning whether they've peaked. I think perhaps this um, boom has a little way to go yet. Will it end up with a bust? I don't think so. I think we're in different times. Of course, there are many factors that could influence this, including the level to which interest rates go, um, how willing and keen lenders are to lend money and how the economy goes in the wider sense, because in the end, people have to afford to buy places. And if they can't, then they tend to rent instead. But of course, then 
if rents go up, that underpins the price of housing because the yield is better on the current level of pricing. So the thing that's really changed the market, in my view, is since we've got buy to let, which we didn't have back in the 90s, by, by the way, that was a new thing. Uh, I think it was brought in about the uh, mid to late 90s. And it was Arla, uh, together with some mortgage lenders, got together and, and created this new thing called buy to let. Of course, there were landlords like myself, even that had bought properties to rent out via their banks. But it was considered a very specialist thing. And there weren't any um, specialist buy to let loans out at the time. So buy to let does really underpin the UK market, certainly the London market right here, um, because there's always strong demand from tenants in the local area because there just isn't enough supply. And if you can't find a self-contained property, you know, renting via the room is an option. And certainly the house in multiple occupation route is something that many landlords make a, a good profit on. But it's very much more hands on than the kind of letting and management that we would normally recommend, especially for first time landlords. So I hope you found that helpful. And uh, do let us know if there's anything you'd like us to cover in the show. We'll be back next week with another edition. Remember, get in touch anytime. You're very welcome. You can call me, Ken, 0208 679 Or you can drop me an email, Ken at jamesalexander.com. That's K-E-N at J-A-M-E-S-A-L-E-X-A-N-D-E-R. Com. Have a fantastic week. Thanks very much for listening. Speak to you next week. Ciao. Thank you so much for joining us on yet another edition of the Property Buyer and Sellers podcast. You can find out more at our website, jamesalexander.com. You can email me directly, ken at jamesalexander.com. We are estate agents and we can give you hints, tips, tricks and advice wherever you're buying, selling, moving to or from. Thanks to Ben Sounds for the intro and outro today and thanks to Jack Bowles for production.